Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, acclaimed guest Ed Kennedy returns to us yet again to talk about healing men. This time beyond the sexualization of women, he digs into the roots of male depression and the addiction of accomplishment. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. Welcome back to Heal, Ed Kennedy. This is our second episode together, which is super exciting. You, whether we knew we were going to or not, we hit the nail on the head last time in the episode. It was healing men, sex, and each other. And holy moly, I got so many powerful, moved, favorite episode ever. That was incredible. Changed my life messages after that episode. So thank you for your contribution in that. You're welcome. I'm honored that people listened and received what can be often a very heavy topic about men and sex and everything that goes with that dynamic. So I'm so pleased. I won't try to top it. We'll just go wherever no. we need to go. <laughs> exactly. No, now that I've set the expectations really high, no. So it really is just one of the things we're doing in season four of Heal is revisiting some of the powerful topics that made a difference for people and maybe going further, taking, you know, now what, having had that initial conversation. And it doesn't mean that that's all we talk about here today, but when you and I touched base about this episode a couple of weeks ago, you know, one of the things that I got present to was there's a, I'll, I'll say it from my side of the fence, which is the female side of the fence. The woman's side of the fence is in my world, I feel like as a 40 year old woman raised by a feminist, there's been a lot of conversations in my life about women's groups and people who specialize in women's support. And there's lots of conversations for women's health and women's doctoring. Now I'm actually aware statistically of the disparity of medical attention to women and things like, I'm not really talking about that. I'm just saying like in a general sense in my world, there are these things and it's like, there's not an equal and opposite counterpoint for each one of those for men. Yes. And like, my boyfriend is looking at that. And I've had some other men in my life that are like, I joined a men's group. I never thought in a million freaking years I would ever do something like that. It never even dawned on me and they've been getting a lot of value out of it. And so what you shared with me about where you are now in life in this next transition, which I'll have you put your own words to it, I think is a great place for us to start the conversation of like, what else do men need, could they do to even just hear another man say, yeah, me too, bro. This is what I'm dealing with, I think is also powerful. Yeah. The walls between ourselves and the men in our life are usually quite thick. And oftentimes men experience more safety and security and being able to confide in women. You know, they, they know that women appreciate when they share if there's something that they're struggling with, but there's a threat to masculinity when we're approached with the opportunity to disclose to another man that we are not doing well. Yeah. And even as someone who's led men's work, I'm susceptible to it. It's nothing, nothing is handled in that sense. I am very susceptible to wanting to isolate and hide from myself, but also from others that I'm struggling. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did even just recently. And it's, it's a, it's a very common issue among genders. And I think all human beings deal with this, but the flavor of how men deal with it is even more devastating Yeah, and even stronger. So yeah, I, because of COVID, I chose to leave my corporate career and, you know, I was leading men's retreats and still consulting in my technology industry. So I stepped away from an identity that I had been reinforcing for 10 years Hmm. and was feeding me a lot of self-worth. You know, I, I had a deep sense of self-worth with my career identity. I was well-known, I was well-paid, I was well-respected. And then I said, I don't wanna do that anymore. So I go into this new environment where all of my credentials and expertise and cachet means absolutely nothing. 
<laughs> and so I, I didn't recognize how much my own sense of self-worth would be affected by making that choice. My higher self made the choice. Yeah. I can't work these hours. I don't, this is not in alignment. I'm going to leave and chart my own path. It was from a state of power, but the consequence of what my ego has now done with that has been run amok. And so bad, bad habits, bad behaviors start showing up again. And I don't want to tell people that I don't want to tell people that, you know, I started smoking tobacco. I don't want to admit that. I don't want to admit that I've been compulsively playing a video game when I'm stressed. I don't want to admit that I've gotten out of the habits and routines that used to give me a lot of strength. I'm embarrassed that yeah. like I'm someone who's supposed to look a certain way and I'm not even living up to my own standards that I preach in my men's work. <laughs> so there's just been this experience of falling from grace and thankfully, yeah. the men that I have led and trained and worked with called me out and said, you were there for us. What the hell are you doing? Why are you not bringing yourself to us like you ask us to, to do in exchange? So it's been really powerful to get reconnected to that and start really small. Start from a place of humility. Mm -hmm. because my capacity to trust my own word has been damaged. Like I've damaged my own integrity because I've been so inconsistent with who I say I am. So I'm having to rebuild trust in my own word over time. So yeah. I'm starting small. Got it. <laughs> totally. Like, and I mean, what I'm present to right now in the conversation is I do, I want to target this towards a conversation about men or the even, we can even broaden a little bit of like the masculine, because there is an element where we all have our feminine and our masculine balance in each of us. And even from man to man and woman to woman, there's different balances where some women are very feminine women and some women, they thrive. I, and I've kind of been on either side of it outwardly, my physical expression has been more in the feminine side, but I've done a lot of things that are deemed more in the masculine qualities of the leadership roles I've been in and the way I managed my time and how logically, statistically goal-oriented. And since I've stopped being in those roles this last year, two years of my life, I've been intentionally embracing more of allowing a flow of time, setting an intention that I'm gonna accomplish a few things, but not really knowing how or when I'm gonna do it, letting myself tinker, wander about. I manage to do all kinds of things around the house when I'm not trying to get things done around the house. And as soon as I'm like, I'm going to clean out my closets, which I've been saying for like, I think a month and a half now, since the beginning of January, not happening. But then I will like clean the baseboards while I'm talking to my mom. Cause it's just sort of comes from this. What I've been taught is a more feminine diffuse awareness space of just sort of noticing something and then handling it. But I didn't know I was going to clean the baseboards that morning. It wasn't on my to-do list. I didn't have it in an action item, right? So those have been energies I've been moving through. And I want to make sure that this conversation is heard from the place of contribution and it's not an us versus them, men have it worse, women have it worse kind of a thing. Because like you said, both sides of this of the gender or sex conversation however we self-identify and the whole spectrum in between we can flow in and out of these different roles in these different spaces in our life and it matters to me as a woman who loves men and watches the men in my life suffer and for me it looks like when i'm dealing with something i go to my sister or i go to my girlfriends or i go to my mom i even go to many men in my life who provide a great space for me. But then when I talk to the like boyfriends and good friends of mine, and I'm like, well, just go talk to your buddy about this. I mean, don't you guys? And they're looked at me like, that's the weirdest idea ever. They're like, no, we don't talk like yeah. no ever. And it's like, to me, that's just a blind spot. Cause I'm like, what, well, what do you mean? You have like all these great, I know I talk to him and they're like, yeah, you can talk to him, but I can't talk to him. And so that's just like crazy threat. to me. It's such yeah. a threat. There's such a threat to the masculine identity. And, and so let's, let's get some definitions yeah. on the table. So what here. is that? Yeah. So we've got, we've got sex. You know, we yeah. have biological anatomical perspectives on, on gender, 
but gender is not sex. Male, female, being born a man or being born a female, uh, male or female, is very distinct than gender of being male, female. It's just such a distinct conversation. And yet we have grafted onto the cultural phenomenon of men and women, the biological constraints of yeah. our sex parts. Yeah. We've said that men have testosterone, men have a penis, women, you know, it, there's just these distinctions that are on the physical plane that we then graft onto a cultural phenomenon right. called men and women. And in fact, the idea that even that binary approach is so constraining from the ex lived experience of being human. There are times when I have been alive and present in my life where I haven't necessarily identified with my gender. I haven't necessarily, now I haven't consciously said I am not a man, but there just was no presence of being a man or a woman. I was, mm -hmm. just, I was just there. And I think you're, what you're pointing to is that notion that masculinity and femininity are a space. It's a perspective. It's a context. It's a way of looking at life. It's a way of interacting with life that has nothing to do with sex identity. It has nothing to do with any of that. And I, I say why, I would say why men are suffering is that they have constrained themselves and been constrained by what society says a man is supposed to look like. Hmm. And the threat sharing with other men that we are struggling is a threat to that core identity of what a man is supposed to look like. And it runs so deep and so subconscious that even someone like me, who's done this work for 10 freaking years, yeah. can't help but resist. I don't want to pick up the phone. I don't want to admit I'm struggling. I would rather pretend like everything's okay. Now, I, I think that women do that as well, but I don't think it's in the same I don't know if it's as common in the way that men display that behavior. So if anything, what I've been trying to teach for the last several years is giving men permission to access the feminine mm. because it's so absent. There's just no permission to experience that kind of flow integrated into life and that you can have strong emotions, anger, and frustration are not the two emotions that are available to men. We have the whole spectrum available <laughs> yeah. to men. Yeah. And we've denied, we've denied ourselves, even experiencing joy, silliness, play, fun, exuberance, ecstasy. So many men have denied themselves the permission to experience those feelings. Yeah. And they're in, because it's a threat to their identity yeah. and they will lose status, lose stature. And it's not just men that reinforce this. There is a community of women that reinforce what a man is supposed to look like as well. Yeah. yeah. So both, both, we all have play a role in continuing to reinforce the gender roles and stereotypes that we think uh, are appropriate. And, you know, on the, on the flip side, I think there are men who have never been given permission and it's never been safe to be masculine. They've never given themselves permission to do it. And if, if anything, what I'm seeing in the men's groups that are most common is they're on the extremes. Either way. There's, yeah. there's either a men's group where men are joining. So they are given permission to access their feminine, or they're joining a men's group that makes them a man that yeah. gives them permission to finally be a man and, and exhibit the masculine identity. And I guess I've tried to walk the line. <laughs> I've tried, to, I've tried yeah. to be appropriate for where men are because some men are coming in and they are the stereotypical machismo, masculine guy who has no problems, you know, is, is getting lots of sex from many sex partners and is financially successful and doesn't need anyone, thank you very much. And I've got to find a way like water to get into his heart. Yeah. You know, I've got to find where the wound is so that he can actually open up and feel feelings again.
-hmm. allow himself to feel feelings. And then there's other men who are very happy to share their feelings, but they can't make a commitment to get out of a paper bag. You know, they can't make a commitment to get out of bed at a certain time and they have no relationship to their word. And so they do need more structure and they've benefited from structure. So in that sense, I try to play with the toolkit of feminine and masculine to empower people. And I try to look beyond what is a man and allow each man to create what does it look like for you to be a man in your life and not by my standard, not by society standard, not by your father's standard. What does it look like for you to be the man you've always wanted to be in your life? Yeah. So that's, and that's what we struggle with. I can see, I mean, I can map it on myself, my own spaces of life where pushing into and getting held accountable for that more structural piece giving my word, honoring my word, building that muscle was one of the greatest things that happened to me. And I had come from a realm where before that, almost all of my tools for empowerment came from an emotional intuitive place, but I didn't have that structural piece. So I kind of felt like I just had to wander around in the dark, lost in my emotions. And it wasn't like, I kind of got access. And then I went sort of all the way to an extreme And now I feel like in my life, I'm moving back towards the more emotionally expressive, feminine, a little looser control on things. And I, but I already have that. I know those tools of accountability, responsibility at giving my word, knowing how to honor my word, forcing myself, quite frankly, sometimes to just do what I said I was going to do, no matter how I feel about it. And it, and it's been this dance in my life through different decades for whatever reason for me it always seems to be like 10 years of this and then 10 years of that and 10 years of this some people it's seven years some people it's eight for me it's been 10 and I turned you know I don't know if it was because I was born on 1980 on the eve of a decade right but I just have fit into that so I can tell you what the 80s were like the 90s were like you know now and turning 40 last summer it's been this like what is the balance for me and I notice I run my own business. I'm building a bigger platform to make a difference for people. I have a very strong career organizational productivity life around me. And what I noticed, and you might be able to speak to this, is that runs headlong into intimacy and connection with my boyfriend. Sure. Like I come out of work, which is a door, (laughs) into the kitchen, and he's in his office downstairs. And I don't want to necessarily give up where I'm at in my head to become his girlfriend again. And we've, we don't connect like something doesn't. And then I don't love the version of him. I get in those moments either where in my experience, he will default to the playful little boy when met with the doctor who just walked out of her practice and it drives me crazy. <laughs> where maybe where maybe what you're looking for in intimacy is the polarity to shift. Yeah. You're looking for the polarity to shift back to a space uh, of feminine and masculine and yeah. allowing, because in your intimacy, you're looking for that kind of an experience. You're looking mm-hmm. to be held, nurtured, taken care of, adored. You're looking for the comfort and the arms around you, not you putting your arms around him. And I noticed though, that the doctor who I'm going to guess many aspects is more the masculine. I have my mini version of my inner ego man doesn't want to tell anybody I need a hug. I'm like, <laughs> yes. no, I'm fucking fine. I got this and then I'm like so how was your day what'd you do today what have you accomplished yeah yeah tell run me through your to-do list right and it just ruins the rest of the evening I bet he gets gets so aroused yeah that's exactly (laughs) tell me what you did on your to-do list today baby (laughs) and so it's it's really I mean I, I can do you one better because my fiance and I own our business together. So we're in opposite rooms in the same house working (laughs) on the same business. And then we come out and meet each other. And it is something that we have to give space for because I think, I think exactly the same way where we, we can kind of be wired to a certain frame of productivity, which, I mean, we have never tested at scale having the feminine lead capitalism. 
we've always had capitalism wrapped up in masculine identity. Yeah. Uh, just the whole patriarchal structure of how you even structure an organization, how you think about profit motive, how you think about winning versus losing. It's all inside of a masculine framework. And it's not to say we should abandon it entirely, but, but there, we haven't allowed there to be an opportunity to practice balancing it with the feminine. I think some organizations, some cultures, some teams are starting to embrace this yeah. and have made strides, but it's not necessarily something that's fully understood because in the masculine framing, it is seen as a threat. Anything that, that I mean, so love says, I will let you off. Love says, you don't have to pay me back. Love says, I forgive you. Love just seeps through all of the boundaries and walls that we've put up to embrace who you really are. And I think that's the power of the feminine. It's the deep connection to love itself. And that's offered to the world through the feminine experience. And if you look in the, in the framing of a woman, that's oftentimes where that comes from. Being caring, thoughtful, considerate, it actually leads to the, it's the attempt to give love to another. We've never tried that in business. We can barely even do it in relationships. You know, we've, we've never, we, we, it's such a threat yeah. to protecting what we think we need to hide from others. So if any of us, if I have something I'm hiding from myself and you come along and accept me 100% for who I am, that's a threat. <laughs> That's dangerous. I might actually have to give that up. I might actually have to melt inside of that and be taken care of. Yeah. And there have been moments where my fiance Morgan has been the one holding me, mm-hmm. you know, has been the one that has held me in my time of pain. And that is a space that I think many men are terrified of. Because again, they're, they're afraid that they're going to lose some sense of identity. They would never want people in their life to know that they were in a state of weakness. And I think that's, we're just missing out on so many opportunities there to actually be more effective and more productive. You know, we spend so much energy protecting what we're afraid that we don't want people to know about ourselves or that we're ashamed of, or that we're not doing well with. We put so much time and energy into protecting that, that if we were able to connect with other men and say, this is how it is, this is how I feel about it. What do you have to say? We would actually be back on the court performing at a higher level quicker. Yeah. That's what I see with all of my clients. Yeah. That's exactly what happens. They come to me with their shins, bruised and their elbows bruised from having gone and taken some risk. And I love them. I give them what they're, what they need, but I still hold them to a high standard. And it's, it is, it is, it feels like a tightrope walk at times. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the access points? Like, let's start with for men who might be listening to this and being able to see some of themselves in what you're sharing. But it's like, cause I think also what I've heard from men in my life is they can't just go to any guy in their life because some of those guys see the vulnerability or whatever, and their threat mechanisms go off and they shame or joke their way through that instead of dealing with whatever it actually is. So like, what do you, you know, I don't know that that's the game. Like, oh yeah, just go to your best buddy and then open up and see how he handles it might not be the safest way to do this. So what do you see? So, I mean, there's things that you can do within yourself that will, that will trick your brain into thinking that you're better than you are. (laughs) And that can help give you some courage and some confidence. And oftentimes we have to go back down to the physical plane. We have to go back down to our sex biology and get connected to that Mm -hmm. to help give us confidence. And what I specifically mean is even just right now, I'm on a habit of walking every morning for one mile before I do anything else. And I'm doing one push up for every day of the month. So, you know, I, if it's, you know, I'm on day 30, I, I do 30 push ups. Yeah. And you kind of build up to that. Those types of daily disciplines can really help reinforce and trick your brain into thinking that you're better than you really are. 
<laughs> I mean, ultimately me walking a mile every day and doing a push-up every day is not going to substantially improve my health and well-being, but the mental clarity can come a lot faster. So that is something you do have control over to a certain degree. You can make a commitment and oftentimes it does help to make a commitment to another person mm -hmm. to make that change. And that's exactly what I did with one of the men in my life. We did talk about what I'm struggling with. We did talk about this sense of loss of identity, you know, the sense of anxiety. Like I, I, I haven't been clinically diagnosed with anxiety, but man, do I have the symptoms. Like I am riding anxiety on a daily basis and it kind of caps, captures me. And I feel like I've lost ground on where I used to be. So yeah. there's a sense of loss there. But just walking every day and doing a push-up has altered, has given me some power back in my own life because it's something I said I would do. It's something someone else is expecting me to do. And when I do it, I feel better, even yeah. though the pure output isn't necessarily going to have me drop 30 pounds. Yeah. And there's actually good neuroscience to this. And there's a, there's a whole series of actual research backing up to for all of us, male, female, and every desired expression of that in between is one thing I think of is uh, a book I read called The Spirit of Kaizen. And Kaizen is an idea that I've heard is encapsulated in Atomic Habits, which is another book a lot of people are familiar with. And in Kaizen is a, a Japanese concept of very tiny changes add up to a substantial shift in your life. Continuous so improvement. Yes. It's just, but it's like, and the idea is to actually choose something that is small enough. Your brain thinks that's ridiculous. That A, won't make any difference and B, that's so tiny and easy. Okay, fine. The idea is actually to choose something that doesn't trigger any of the survival stress mechanisms of your brain. You want to be under that. So I love that. Like, there was one example in the book that talked about this guy was a coach coming from Kaizen with someone who had, you know, really needed to lose weight, always ate out at restaurants, was very successful. So he never ate at home. And he just had these rich meals all the time. And he went into his doctor and his doctor's like, you are a walking, talking coronary artery problem. You got to do something about it. You're going to drop dead. And so they started with when he gets his meal, take one bite of food and set it off to the side and leave it there and eat everything else. And it was for like a week. And then the second week, two bites of food. And eventually over a long period of time, it became, he would literally tell the server to package up half the serving in a to-go box <laughs> before it ever got to his plate. And then he would just eat what was on his plate. But that was like way down the line. And it happened and he ended up losing 35 pounds. He dropped his cholesterol levels just from portion control in this one area. And, but it was the idea is to actually have part of your brain be like, that's ridiculous, but there's some patterning that starts to happen off of it. So like the one push up a day, you know, I, I like the days of the month because you get to start back over, but yeah, and it kind of builds people, up and then right? resets and I'm trying it. We'll see. I mean, it's still early now. Yeah. So and, and so that's one side of the equation. I think you're, you're nailing it because we, it is tricking my brain to think like, how can I possibly make an excuse not to do that? Yeah. There are some happy accidents that happen as a result of me doing this because mentally I've shifted, even though the results in my physical health and well-being haven't materialized yet. There's less temptation to eat sugar. There's less temptation to indulge in food that I know doesn't work because I don't want to lose the little progress I've made. <laughs> it's like, right? oh, what was even the point of walking or doing any, that's not, now all of a sudden that shows up as inconsistent. That's awesome. And so there's less resistance to letting that go. Whereas before I was running to those substances yeah. to soothe my stress. So the other side of that equation for men to get started with is to eliminate stimulus and eliminate distractions. Mm -hmm. So the most popular one that, you know, I kind of recommend all the time is abstain from consuming porn yeah. or abstain from masturbation or both. That, that is a, it's a very common pattern that when men are stressed, they masturbate. Mm -hmm. It's a very common connection yep. because there's an immediate relief and release so there's a payoff and it's something that you can actually, you know, go and do in 10 or 15 minutes and be back. 
or less <laughs> on track you know, or less, yeah, yeah. you know, so it's something that doesn't take a lot of time. So it's oftentimes when there's high stress levels, that's a very common way to soothe yourself. So claiming power back in that area can be very, very powerful. And also just evaluating other distractions. And it's, it might seem less salacious, but they're all just substances. Yeah. It could be video games, social media, television. It can be, you know, just habits and routines. And, and I do diagnose, or I do recommend atomic habits to my clients. And we do look at eliminating the negative, you know, so taking out the a habit that you're wanting to get rid of and replacing it with something that's positive. So I've done both. Yep. And that's a place to start where it's less threatening than to get on the phone and talk about how you're doing because yeah. you have a victory to share that doesn't get you off the hook from actually disclosing what you're actually dealing with. And, and so it's more of a stabilizing factor. It's not necessarily going to be going to carry you across the finish line. So, I mean, ultimately at at a certain point, men need to take the risk of looking bad because what they're going to find, and as I found every single time where I've had a conversation with a man I trust who knows me, when I disclose what I'm actually dealing with in plain, clear terms, I am never met with judgment. Hmm. It's such a fallacy and, it's, and that's why it's so insane. We're so afraid of losing our identity as a man but when we speak to men that we trust and that we care about and that care about us, I have never been met with judgment. And even if I have felt like I've been judged, it's normally because that man is trying to kick my ass into gear and is saying, what are you doing? That's yeah. ridiculous. Get back on track. Like you're way better than this. But even that's love coming through the phone or through the conversation. Right. So at a certain point, you've got to take the risk and you've got to be able to articulate what it is you're actually dealing with. Because on the surface, it looks like my symptoms are, I'm really stressed out, uh, I'm working really hard, I've gained weight, but what I can see further down inside of me is a loss of identity. I'm not who I used to be. Yeah. And I'm like feeling lost. And, you know, the stress of the pandemic and the stress of having a young business that doesn't currently isn't cash flow positive is one that makes me feel like I'm not good enough because I've mm -hmm. had so much of my identity tied up in my income. Yeah. So it's that that I have to actually be able to share with people. I feel like I'm a failure because I'm not making enough money. And to see how much that runs my life is upsetting and to see how hardwired that is. And for men, that is often a top one. If they can't, if you can't uh, find an attractive partner and if you can't make enough money, you are not good enough. You are yeah. not a man. So the ability to attract a mate and the ability to make an, make enough money to cover an entire household are our standards that we have for what it means to be a man. So even I, as someone who does men's work, falls short of that, I can fall into, I'm not good enough. Yeah, yeah. And so what about that piece of articulating what's really going on? Cause you know, I'm on the girlfriend, female friend side of this equation. And I run into some of my guy friends who will come to confide in me, I'm a safe space. I'm a doctor and have a lot of emotional intelligence and I'm just somebody that people come to a lot, but I will like, they're like, I'm stressed. I'm dealing with all this and I'll start to get into it. And I'm like, well, what's really going on? And they, it's like the dumbest quite, they're like, what do you mean? What's really going on? Or I'm like, okay, well, yeah, but like, how do you feel about that? And they're like, I don't know, pissed. <laughs> and it's just like, there's not, so I don't actually know what are the tools? Do you have any ideas or thoughts about how to help someone start to be able to get into a bit more self-reflective space. I know how I do it, but I do it through communication. I get on the phone with somebody and I talk to them. And the more I talk to them, I wander my way down to the root issue. It just happens naturally. But what I've heard is that's a more feminine trait, not women trait, but femininity of expressing myself until I solve whatever the thing is that is not how many men operate. What I've heard is that for men, they think about it and only say it when they're clear about what there is to say. And so like, if someone doesn't know how to get clear, how do they get clear? Yeah, if there's no action to take, we often don't have anything to say. <laughs> and even when, and we listen that way too, when women talk to us, we think, 
what do I need to do? Uh -huh. <laughs> We're so hardwired into she's sharing. What do I need to do with this information? What does she need? Do I need to give her advice or do I need to do something for her? You know, like yep. that's, we've, we do it on the listening side as well. We're action oriented in our communication. So there isn't as much reflection and talk therapy as an approach is generally just as threatening to men as talking to men, you know, mm -hmm. going and seeing a therapist or going and speaking to and confiding and sharing your emotions is seen as feminine and therefore a threat to your identity as a man. So, on a certain degree, men need to get over that. Got it. Because they're suffering and they don't, they, they can't even admit that it's, it's a source of their suffering. And to a certain extent, they don't know any better. I didn't know that my inability to connect to my emotions was robbing me of my satisfaction in life. Hmm. I don't necessarily need to become my emotions. Although I will come back to what it looks like to embody your emotions and how powerful that can be but I don't necessarily need to indulge in my emotions in a way that is also negative. I can actually connect to my emotions. And I think it's a skill that men don't have. They don't connect to their emotions. They don't, they can't identify. This is the feeling I'm having. And this is why I'm having that feeling. It seems out of touch because it's not something I can pick up, throw at the wall or destroy. So that's why at, the men's retreats I host, we do embodied emotional work. We actually allow men to start with the emotion they're most familiar with, which is anger. So we prompt men, what are you angry about? And have them talk about what they're angry about. And we allow them over a period of time, short period of time to say enough about it and realize it's not gone. Mm. That no amount of talking is going to get the anger gone because the anger is symptomatic of something else. And what I, from what I can tell, all core negative emotions are somehow tied back to fear. You know, that fear is this core emotion that we ultimately are avoiding. And so getting angry about something definitely gets us off the hook for dealing with what we're afraid of. Yep. So when we embody emotions, that's where I allow men to go deeper. So when I say embodied, what I mean is we get in a circle and they have to literally fight about it. They have to physically move their body, scream, shout. You know, they don't throw punches. I coach them on how to do it safely, but they need to move their body because when they burn off that anger, what's right there are the emotions hmm. and the embodiment of sadness, grief, loss, even joy, sadness, it, it all just comes up to the surface. And those are the most intimate and vulnerable experiences I've ever seen men inside of is when that first layer of anger is burned off and all of a sudden what they're really sad about, what they're really afraid of is right then and there, not as something, a concept in their head, but a lived emotional experience right then and there. They're actually connected to their emotions. And that, when you wrap that up with some, conversation so they can actually have it become an empowering experience versus something where they feel vulnerable and that they failed. Yeah. If they can then speak about what they just experienced, it can really, it can, it's balm on that wound that can then really heal permanently. So <laughs> we have to do that in the desert or up in the mountains. You know, that's, that's <laughs> like, literally yeah. sometimes what it takes is we've <laughs> got to actually get out and away. So you feel like you can really scream at the top of your lungs to thrash with as much force as you've ever allowed yourself to, because that scene is dangerous to exhibit that kind of behavior around women or even around men. Yeah. You know, we've, we've put a mute button on men's anger because it is dangerous. <laughs> But yeah. that doesn't mean that bottling it up is any healthier. Yep. So that's one access point. But that's why I say just day to day in your daily life, getting connected to your physical body can help. That's why mm -hmm. the push-ups help. That's why pull-ups, that's why running, that's why physical exercise can help to burn off some of that, um, that surface level emotion to actually allow you to reflect and identify, ah, this is what's going on. Yep. Yep. Totally clear. So what us chicks do to support the men in our lives? Like, especially, you know, I, I have had a series of, you know, I was married at one point, the longest relationship I've had was eight years, but mostly I've had a handful of two year relationships and I've dated a lot. 
And so one of the things I run into is I love men and I would like to have men in my life. I'd like to have one man in my life. And I run into the injured, the abused, the trauma, traumatized that like is all wrapped up in pomp and circumstance on the outside that for the first six to 12 weeks of dating is fine, fun and entertaining. And then we start to get into the actual relationship part. And I'm like, dude, you got work to do. I'll see you later. Let me know when that's done. More so inside my own personal commitments and now in a relationship with my partner for the last seven months and we are inside of long-term committed conversation, it's like, okay, that's not an option and I want to support him and there's this territory to cover and I've got my own conversations, but I watch myself react to like that thing that you said about for me, if he came to me with what he was actually dealing with, I can be with that all day long. But when it shows up as sarcasm, when it shows up as joking, when it shows up as these cover-ups, when he gives me a glimpse of it and then covers it up and says it's not there anymore, my female empathetic self wants to scream bloody murder because I know he's lying. I can still feel the emotion that sometimes he doesn't even know is happening and I can feel it coming off of him. And I just end up in this landlock where now I'm supposed to be able to like turn that all off and be great with him and then just sit down and watch a movie and cuddle. And I'm just like, it's been this challenge as we've gotten deeper into our relationship. And my highest level is I want to support him, but not be his therapist. I want to be there for him in those moments of pain, but not be a mothering girlfriend all the time. So it's like, what do we do? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What a case, tough case. Very common. I, I, well, what I, first of all, I acknowledge you for being willing to walk away when a man demonstrates that he's not necessarily at the level you're committed to. And I think a lot of women end up turning their relationships into projects, you know, and they're very comfortable in that zone where, and he's such a great guy, except for a B and C. And I, over time, those things are going to change and they're going to get better. Big warning signs. There are women that I dated that I'm so glad they dumped me because they saw how fucked up I was. Got it. <laughs> like, I, like I, I have so, and it didn't feel good at the time, but I'm so right. grateful that women were willing, had standards of their own and yeah. boundaries of their own. They said, no, you're, I'm not, I'm not getting in with that. Like, come back in a couple of years and we'll talk. Yeah. Very powerful. And I think, you know, so that's one surface level initial piece of advice for women is to just make sure that just because there are men around you that are suffering, suffering doesn't mean you need to date them. Right. Just because they look like a hopeless case and they, and you're going to be the one that comes in and (laughs) helps them out. You don't need to put them first and you second. Right. And that is distinct from being in a long-term committed partnership And so, you know, in my relationship with Morgan, my fiance, what she does that really makes a difference for me is give me space. You know, she knows where I'm at emotionally, often way more than I do. Mm-hmm. And she knows why <laughs> she has been observing me, yeah. you know, like, so, like the women that I've been with and Morgan, especially they're watching, <laughs> you know, they, they uh-huh. she knows what's going on with me even more than I do. And I would say it goes in the other direction as well. I know what's really going on with her in cases because I can see what she is too close to. So on, on a certain level, the biggest difference that Morgan has made in my life is the ability to give me space. And yet she has been firm when necessary to tell me to go and do something about it without her. Mm. You know, so that she's asked me like, do you, well, I mean, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, so I go to AA meetings. So she goes, do you need to go to an AA meeting? Do you need to go out for a walk? Do you need to, and so she instructs me, suggests oftentimes where I need to go to get the support, you know, and she says, do you need to call some guys in your life? (laughs) And, and she's done it in a way that's not threatening. And there's sometimes where I reject it outright because I don't want to deal with it. And there's other times where I am open to it. And even if I say no, initially I end up doing it because it's the right thing to do. So the power of persuasion is an art that women have mastered. (laughs) And I think you got to keep using that skill set in a way that is suggestive and makes a difference for supporting your man in getting what he needs. Now, one-on-one, I think there are opportunities 
but I think the windows are often very small or mm-hmm. short. So, you know, that's where you've, that's where even with my clients, I recommend finding some strategic opportunities. So that might be looking at some ways you can set up your schedule so that you can be in an environment that's low stress, that's not threatening, and that's not got something, not got an easy distraction to it. (laughs) So a lot of times where that happens for us is like when Morgan and I go out for a walk. So Morgan doesn't worry about trying to get me to talk about my feelings. She worries about getting me on the walk Mm. and lets the walk take care of the rest. Yeah, that's (laughs) Um, really good. So I think sometimes because women know what's going on or they have an intuition or a hunch and they want to be caring and loving, they want to get to the meat of it. But oftentimes getting to the structural space where that can happen is the, is the real goal yep. because the walk takes care of itself. And the walk is what actually has me start talking about my emotions and talking about my feelings. So looking for those strategic opportunities to create a space that's not threatening, yep. where there's less distractions and asking, asking questions. If you're going to take a proactive approach, what I have found is that some, sometimes the space I'm given is it. And sometimes I know Morgan refrains from her temptation to want to help me. And it's uncomfortable for her, but it makes a bigger difference than if she keeps picking at it. Yeah. And I think that's also, that's an art and a skill that I think a lot of women could bring to their men. Ultimately, what men are, are seeking is to be accepted. Yep. A lot of women want the stability and security of a relationship, but men, you know, what love often means to the masculine identity is acceptance. So if you can find a way to make it undeniably clear that you accept your man, he will find a way to, he will reciprocate with his emotions. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, that has come down to, even in, even in sex relations, you know, there are experiences that allow a man to fe- feel accepted by his woman. And that is incredibly powerful for a man to experience. And so it can, it, there's many arenas, I guess is what I'm saying. In sex relations, there's a way to demonstrate that you accept him. In conversations, there's ways to demonstrate you accept him. In the environment, there's ways to demonstrate you accept him. And that's where you know, I've also pointed people to make sure they know the love languages and yep. make sure they understand that if the man needs praise, like I do praise the hell out of him. If the man needs physical touch, that's what he needs. He doesn't need to talk. He needs to be touched. Yep. He needs to, he needs to, he needs to be touched. Uh, so th- those are some, there's a half dozen different ideas right. for what yeah. might assist, but it's frankly, it's something that I'm continuing to discover yep. uh, because I have been in a prolonged state of anxiety and my partner's just watched, you know, and I, it's been difficult for her. So I know that she's been doing everything she can to support me coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Clear. Yeah. I think about the love languages and words of affirmation and, you know, physical touch for me, it's acts of service. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we set up in our relationship was essentially a when in doubt to do list, (laughs) like when in doubt, here's things. And and it was for me, what I know works for for me and for him, what he knows works for him. And, and like, you know, I know a lot of workspaces and and teams operate on social media, not social media, but like um, messengers, like Slack, Mm -hmm. we actually have a Slack channel for our relationship. And it's got all kinds of things on it. It's got the grocery list and it's got house projects and it's got dreams and it's got this like well-being area, which is like what I know I need and what he knows he needs. And and like for him, sexual contact is a ma- major one. And for me, I need to be rested, fed and warm to be interested in having sex. So, so like he makes sure dinner is handled and the house heat is at the right temperature and that I've gotten enough sleep. And then I am, you know, it's like, but we, we didn't, we took apart that part of, oh, you should already know this or, oh, you know, that whole piece that can happen sometimes in relationships. It's like, no, I just, I mean, as close to giving him an instruction manual as I could, I've worked on that because it's what actually empowers him. And then he can provide that for me and then it works and we're both really happy about it. 
yeah, I think we're tempted to, because we are, because sometimes we're not secure in our own connection to having intimacy in our life. We like to keep it mysterious. Mm -hmm. Uh (laughs) We like to, we like to keep it mysterious. So we want to keep the other partner surprising us. And, and, and yet where Morgan and I have been very honest with each other about transactionally what we need from each other with no judgment of ourselves or each other, our relationship has blossomed, you know, so where she's clearly communicated what she needs for us to have sex has made a huge difference Uh in our relationship. It really does. And the same thing with me, like with me being able to communicate what my needs are. And so I guess everything that we're talking about is on the mountaintop of assuming that this man, any man you're with qualifies. Yeah. So there's, they have to have climbed enough up the mountain <laughs> to qualify for these conversations. Yeah. And you know, you shouldn't be wasting your time waiting for the man to get up to the mountaintop. So if they demonstrate early in a relationship that they don't share their emotions, if they're not willing to share their emotions or their finances, they don't qualify for being a long-term partner. That's my standard. Right. If I can't have conversations about your money or your feelings. how are we ever going to be successful together? Because our life is going to revolve around our money and our feelings. If we're going to have a successful life together, it's going to involve money, feelings, and a lot of other things. But if those are the taboo areas and men aren't willing, then he's not qualified. Um, We expect, you know, I think women are willing to, because they're, they're so committed and oftentimes attached to having love and a partner, they've wanted it so badly, so desperately, they're willing to compromise the standards that lead to a successful relationship. And there are a bunch of young boys out there that have no business being in a long-term relationship and they're getting into long-term relationships because they think that's what they should be doing when they're not ready. They shouldn't be in. And I, I talk a lot of my male friends and men clients I've had out of getting into relationships. I've talked them out of getting married not necessarily that they were already engaged, but I've really had them strongly consider if this is something that they think they should be doing versus something they truly choose. Yeah. And, and that's been part of my own journey is maturing in my own sex identity with women about, and getting honest about what I really wanted out of relationships and to tell the cold, hard truth that I want to be with you because I want to have sex with you and I'll put up with everything else as long as I'm getting sex. <laughs> to be able to own that, you know, in my twenties and start to come out of that and start to realize how much I had missed, how many opportunities I had missed in life because yeah. my life was so driven by my sex identity. Yeah. Just it, it robbed me of a, of a lot of life experiences. And, and ultimately I had to go through that to arrive here Yeah. where sex is not the most important thing in my life anymore. That's another thing to look out for. If a man, if sex is the most important thing to a man, <laughs> like like literally his time, energy, and money are all revolving around how he can get sex, you probably shouldn't be, be in a long-term relationship. Could be a great playmate if that, you right. know. And so yeah, and that's, totally. that's a series of distinctions I think I've said in some other podcasts, but this was just invented for myself was the distinction between playmates, lovers, and partners. Mm-hmm. And I have had people that were extraordinarily awesome in my life. I'm super glad that they were there and they were playmates. And it wasn't just about sex. That was a big part of it, but it was like, we had fun together. Bottom line, it was just freaking fun. We went and did things. We went on adventures. We ate great food. We had fun. And that was really it. We didn't work on each other's stuff. We didn't share about what we were really dealing with in any major way. There was no desire or need for that level. And that's where I would say lovers was like, the sexual piece was there, the fun was there, and there was an intimate connection. But that doesn't mean that then our lives fit together. And that was a whole nother level of my maturing was like, at the level of lovers, there was great love for the other person. And that's not the only thing. It's like, great sex, great love. I care about this person. This person matters to me. But when I look at what I want in a partner who I'm going to live with, who may actually make power of attorney decisions in my life, that if I am disabled, as I never thought I would ever would be, and I got hit with chronic fatigue syndrome, and all of a sudden I was like, would I be able to trust some level of turning over or having my business managed or somehow dealt with by this person being responsible for that part of my life? Like, 
that brings a whole nother set of things into the picture. And I grew into discovering those distinctions for myself and that there are awesome people that have flowed in and out of my life at different time periods that have fit playmate and lover. And that has not meant partnership was where we were destined to go just because we loved each other, which I think yeah. is a whole nother. Yeah. We've, un- we've undervalued compatibility as a way to explore whether we should be with each other. You know, yeah. we just, we, we, on the, on the feminine side, we, we seek for the emotional experiences of love and intimacy. And on the masculine side, we, you know, seek satisfaction from sex. And we, you know, those two things might meet up for a minute, but that does not mean that you fit together, like you said. And, you know, that's, I've learned the hard way through that myself. And I've caused damage in my relationships through that. And it's something that I've come to mature from and be able to then hopefully pass along to other men who are kind of following up behind me. Like, you know, if you're not ready for, if you're not ready for a committed relationship, don't tell her that you want one, you know, don't play that game because you're just going to hurt her and it's going to create all kinds of problems and messes. And it's not even authentic and you're just lying to yourself. And then I think people, I think men then figure out that sex is not all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) At some point, I think, I hope that men discover that sex is not the end all be all of life. It can be a powerful, beautiful part of life, but it is not necessarily the end all be all. And I think that's, we're so hardwired biologically and culturally into that. And that's what we've got to kind of try to undo. Well, should we just leave it there in that big space of what we have left, the work we have left to do? I mean, this is this is just one snippet of a much bigger space, but I just so appreciate your raw, passionate honesty to just put yourself in the conversation and like, here's where I'm at. And you just always, I just love how you articulate things in a straight and compassionate way. And it just, I know it's going to make a difference for people to just even rattle with this. I'm watching myself over here, squirm a little, think a little bit about like, go like, Oh, this is going to work on me for a while. And it's awesome. Vice versa. Yes. Having this conversation feeds and enriches me. And so, you know, if I get to give something, I know I'm going to receive it. So right back at you, I'm in the hot seat myself as well, which is why we do this work, which is why we have these conversations. And I am so grateful that you invited me on again. If it makes a difference for one listener, we got our job done and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. It also matters to me. I mean, you have been someone who leads men's work and what you're up to right now is particularly empowering women around finances, correct? Yeah. What's interesting is that, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> which we my, didn't really, you know, my fiance has been a money coach for five years. You know, she's helped many people, mostly women, but also men transform their relationship with money. And, and Morgan was on heel and we have an episode people can reference about that. Yep. Yeah. Go listen to it. She's yeah. just so wonderful. Brilliant. And when I was looking at jumping from the corporate career, I looked at her business and I said, why are we going to create two businesses that are basically doing the same thing functionally, coaching, empowering transformation, but we're going to set up two whole different entities, businesses, target audiences and everything. And and I just, we made a, a choice to serve the audience of women and money first. So I, in the coming years, we will start to do couples work and we will start to do, I'll probably even do men's work around money. And, but right now there's been so much uh, positive response from what we have put out there uh, through our company, Vibrant Money. And so she helps people with the financial foundations. She hosts a monthly free webinar called Wealthy Wednesdays. It's on the first Wednesday of every month. And then I host a what's called a badass business builders webinar on the third Wednesday of every month. So those are kind of ways that we both help clients. She helps awesome. with the financial foundations. I help people make more money and we're loving it. It's been, it's been a real journey. Like I said, it's not cash flow positive yet, but that's because we followed her process. We have a year's worth of savings in the bank. So we don't feel the anxiety as much as I would if yeah. I had to make this make money right away. Yeah. So that's where we've transitioned. And I've, I've, I've learned so much by working with women in the last year and a half, particularly how much codependent behavior shows up in relationships and money. It's a space I just did not appreciate at all. 
Yeah. So not to, not to podcast open up a number whole, three. Yeah, no, oh really. I mean, cause yeah, that's a whole, that's an, the, which is great. And why I love you is cause there's always, oh my God, the next conversation. Yeah. We just, we're going to, we, we just put up an article about codependency and money. Um, great. So I'll share it with you if awesome. you want to share it. With we'll the, make sure with it's the in the show notes for people. Yeah. Yeah. It's juicy conversations. And I'm so grateful for the women in my life and women like you <laughs> that are willing to have conversations with anyone. And I want to acknowledge you for who you are, for your audience, for your clients, for your partner. You're a wonderful woman and we are all lucky to have you. We're all lucky to have you in the world and just bringing out these conversations. It's making a huge difference. I'm, I'm humbled and honored to see it happen. Awesome. Thank you, Ed. We'll keep up the good work on both fronts until right. we get to meet again. Yes, I look forward to it. Inspired by the success of Heal, we are now a community of over 4,000 incredible healers. We will be launching some courses and workshops in 2021. Be the first to know about them by joining our mailing list at sarahmarshallnd.com. Thank you to today's guest, Ed Kennedy, for his heart and strength. For a full transcript and all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.